Father, again, thank you for this time that we could come and we can gather, Lord, and we can um, just enjoy time sitting at your feet. And uh, Lord, as with each one of the words that we've been looking at, I know for me, you've been using them greatly in my own heart, in my life, and speaking to me. So I ask and pray, God, tonight as we continue, Lord, really understanding what this looks like of of things to add to our lives. And again, Lord, you tell us that if we add these things to our lives, we will not be uh, unfruitful. We will not be barren, Lord, Um, but we will be uh, very fruitful. And there will be much there within our lives as well as within our marriages. So we do ask and pray you continue to use your word to minister to our hearts right where we're at. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a like precious faith. Like precious faith with, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace be multiplied and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power, again, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we're looking at this list of what he's describing as all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And again, uh, the, the, the precious faith equates to the precious promises because of the precious faith that we have. Uh, we've been given the exceedingly uh, great and precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature. We're really going to kind of be looking at that uh, pretty much tonight of what that divine nature uh, looks like. But also, verse 5 says, For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, to perseverance, our word tonight, Godliness, godliness. Now, Warren Wiersbe says this, the word godliness means right worship or a dependence on God that reveals itself in a devoted life. Not only worshiping God with every becoming outward act, but adoring, loving, and magnifying him in the heart. Another writer says, um, um, godliness simply means God-likeness. I like that, God-likeness. Then he says this, he says in the original Greek, uh, this word is meant to worship well. It describes a man who was right in his relationship with God and his fellow man. It is that quality of character that makes a person distinctive. He lives above the petty things of life, the passions and pressures that control the lives of others. And I don't know about you, but I've been on the phone a lot this week where people who are out of control and passions and pressures and petty things uh, and stuff. But we're called to live above that. And he seeks the will of God. And as he does, he seeks the welfare of others. And I also read this quote, and it says, we must never get the idea that godliness 
is an impractical thing because it's intensely practical. The godly person makes the kind of decisions that are right and noble. He does not take an easy path simply to avoid either pain or trial. He does what is right because it's right and because it's the will of God. And again, in that, I love that because it's really describing uh, the man of Psalms 15. In Psalms 15, this is what David said there in Psalms 15. He asked this question. He says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle or who may dwell in your holy hill? And that's a good question. And David was asking, hey, Lord, who is the one who can abide in your tabernacle and who's the one who can dwell in your holy hill? And then he answers it by this saying, he who walks uprightly, works righteousness, speaks the truth in his heart, does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fears the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. A pastor friend of mine used to always kind of just you know, beat me over the head with that one. It's kind of like, cause I would kind of waver and change my mind, everything like this. He says, Pat, you swore, you swore to your own hurt. Even if you know what you, if you make a decision, you fulfill it. If you make a commitment, you fulfill it. Even if it costs you, even if it's painful for you, you want to be a righteous man in a sense. And that this is that the person, the godly person that we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, to have right worship, to worship well, to live out the gospel within our lives each and every day, wanting to honor the Lord as well as rightly represent him to a lost and a dying world. So we will start with the ladies. Okay. Use your verses. A few, but that's okay. Okay, so um, I wrote down godliness. It's more than just being a Christian because uh, I think sometimes we just get this very simple attitude of, well, I'm a Christian, of course I'm godly. And that's not necessarily so. It's more than just being a good wife. It's more than just going to church or helping at church or donating money to the church. Godliness is much more than that. It's, you know, when I started looking at the word, it's actually uh, such an all-encompassing topic we really can't even look at godliness tonight in one little 20-minute session because it's every attribute that God is. Everything that he is, love, joy, peace, truth, faithfulness, all of those things are part of godliness because that is who he is. It's the attributes that we've been looking at in Second Peter. It's the fruit of the Spirit. All of those words describe who God is, and those are all a part of what godliness looks like. And so it's um, what we're looking at tonight, we're just looking at a little snippet of that, but it's so much more. It's everything that composes and makes God who he is and so much higher and better above us. Um, I think you said this quote, but I want to say it again. <laughs> Jay Vernon McGee is the one that said it. He said, godliness means exactly what it says, God-likeness, to be just like God. And I, I like that because it sounds so like, like, wow, we can't ever be that godly. But yes, we can. It's God-likeness to be just like God. You know, think back way back in the beginning of your Bible, in the beginning of time, in the book of Genesis, it says that God created mankind in his very image. And he said this in Genesis 1, verse 26. 
let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I, I like that because the reality is of all of the creation, of all the things that the Lord created when he was creating this earth, he made human beings in his very image. The animals are not exactly like him, the birds, the insects, nothing else is exactly like him, but we are made in his image and likeness. Now the challenge for us as human beings, because we are sinful creatures, is to live like him so that we can really be in his image and likeness, especially when we live in a world where image is everything. Now, for us ladies, I think that we tend to struggle with the whole image thing a lot more than guys do, not always, but in a general sense. Uh, when we don't feel like we measure up, we don't fit in, it affects our emotions, our attitudes, the way we behave or treat other people. And think about it, you know, we are bombarded with pictures and Facebook and, and all of those things that are trying to, ads and things are trying to sell us to communicate what we should look like when we're not, we're not thin enough, we're not young enough, we're, you know, our hair is not the right color or this or that, our eyes need to be a different color, all of those kind of things. The world is trying to cram us into this mold of an image of what we should be. And I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror and things don't measure up, it, it kind of messes with your brain a little bit. And pretty soon, when you're little like, whoa, I guess there's a lot of wrinkles there, or I see that gray, or I'm not, those clothes don't fit anymore, it starts affecting our attitude. And then before you know it, you're walking around the day and you're kind of grumpy or mad, and you have no idea why, and then you start taking it on other people, such as maybe your spouse or your family, your children or your coworkers. And it all started with that image thing, because wait a minute, I don't look like that image, so now I'm in a bad mood and now it's gonna affect the rest of my day. You know, think about it, you, you have a bad hair day and the next thing you know you have a bad attitude and then it's a really bad day. And again, in fairness to our spouse, they have no clue why. They can't figure it out because it's like, you can't even explain it. And that's the whole problem here with image. And that's what I love about this word godliness because when we choose to walk in godliness, we're not trying to measure up to the world's image. We're trying to match up with God's image. And we can do that through the power of, of the Lord and his Holy Spirit. Think about how much of our lives and our money do we spend trying to fit into the world's image of beauty. And who are our examples? Hollywood, music stars, maybe athletes, I don't know. But we're trying to fit into what they say is beautiful or good or wonderful. We try to fit into the image of maybe correctness and being, I'm, I'm going to fight for society and for true, truth and justice. And yet we end up sort of following the image of a political party or a political group. And again, they're dictating to us what that image should be. Or maybe we're fighting for that image of success by striving over a career, trying to uh, be bigger and better than I was the year before. Now again, beauty and careers and social, social justice, they're not bad in and of themselves. But if my identity is wrapped up in those things, I'm going to be disappointed. And if my image, um, how I appear to the world is more important than what's really inside of my heart, there's something wrong and I'm not walking in godliness. Romans 12, 2 says this, and this is, I'm reading this out of the New Living Version. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I like that because we're exhorted, don't copy the world. When I copy the customs in the world, I'm, gonna, I'm setting myself up for disaster because I'm never going to measure up and I'm going to have an attitude and I'm going to be depressed and discouraged later on. But I need to let God transform me into godliness. He will make me into that new person. He changes the way I think and he changes my heart. And then I will know what God's will is for me. And that will is good and pleasing and perfect. Godliness, one of the definitions, or excuse me, the translation said this, letting God transform you. And this is the way the translation read, gladly letting God have his way with you. We sang that song earlier tonight, just you know, letting the Lord have his way. And that it just was so perfect because that's what godliness is. Allowing the Lord to have his way and change us the way he thinks and he sees fit, not us trying to fit in with what the world tells us. And I have to ask myself as a woman and as a wife, am I allowing the Lord by his spirit and through his word to continue to change me into his image and likeness, to correct me when I need correction, to change me when I need to be changed, or am I busy trying to do it myself and fit in with what I see on TV or in a magazine or what I think that I'm supposed to be? Am I a wife that looks godlike, or, or am I the one that looks godless, lacking God's wonderful character qualities in the way I think, the things I say, and the way I behave? How, you know, you, I started thinking, how would my spouse answer that question? Is she godlike or godless? How would my children or my family or my coworkers? I don't want to be godless. I want to be more godlike. And that's what godliness is all about. The word godliness, when you think about it, it begins for us with a childlike awe, a reverence, and a love towards <coughs> the Lord. When Jesus saved us, he also adopted us into the family of God. When you think about little kids, they often want to imitate and act just like their parents. As a child of God, we ought to be just like that, wanting to be just like our dad, our perfect heavenly father. He should be our hero, the idol that we look up to, and the ones that we want to be just like. Our aim each day should be more like him than the day before. So you might say, well, how does that happen? Well, we read that one verse earlier tonight in verse 3. It says of 2 Peter 1, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. As we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, these attributes are going to be added to our lives, making us more like him and empowering us to walk in obedience. Remember, the whole book of 2 Peter, Peter is warning about coming apostasy and false teaching, and he's exhorting us about how our lives and our attitudes and our behavior need to be in this fallen world, reminding us that it's necessary for us to stand strong in Jesus. And we begin that by making Jesus our foundation, and then we add to him faith, add to that faith and all the other qualities that we've been studying each week. But we can't make this happen on our own. We need Jesus to work in our lives. We need the power that raised Jesus from the dead to empower us as well. If you read that same verse 3 from 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, in the New Living, it says this, By his divine power, God has given to us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. As we devote ourselves to Jesus and we make it an aim to learn of him, by his divine power, his power is going to change us and give us everything we need to live godly lives. 
Um, as Pat pointed out, in the, um, the root words for godliness, it's the, the Greek word is esubia, and it's, it's u, which means well, and that's subia or subia, to worship, to worship well. It, the definition said, it's devotion and piety towards God. Comes from the root word meaning of piety, meaning a pious life or a life which is morally good. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I hear the word pious or piety, it kind of sounds like a little bit more like holier than thou kind of a thing. kind of has a bad rap. But when I looked up the definition of piety, just in the regular dictionary, this is what it said. The act of obeying and revering God. And that's how we can add godliness to our lives when we choose to obey the Lord and to obey his word. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says this, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. I like that because God keeps it simple for us. Love God, obey his word, and he is going to have mercy upon us. He's going to keep his covenant with us. He is going to create godliness in our lives. But I like it because it speaks of a dependence for us as ladies upon the Lord. And it also speaks of a life that is devoted to obeying him. It's a choice that we make that, Lord, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to obey what you tell me to do. Devotion needs to be a daily routine for us, just like working out and keeping physically fit. Listen to what First Timothy 4 verses 7 and 8 says, do not waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. I thought, if nothing else, that's a great word for our culture today. Don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. But listen to this. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. When we work out in godliness, when we choose to be more like the Lord, we uh, spend time in his word and looking at how Jesus lived and trying to live like him and allowing him to change us and make us more like him. There's going to be benefits here and now in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with others, but there's benefits in the life to come. I don't know what that is, but that's what he told us in Timothy, so I'm just choosing to believe it. So I wrote down some examples for myself of what godliness training might look like for me. And prayerfully, it'll bless you as well. And the first thing I looked up was 1 Peter 3, verses 10, I mean, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. And it says this, For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil. There's, there's one thing for godliness training. Keep my tongue from saying bad things evil things, unkind things. And again, I don't know about for you, but for me, my tongue gets me into a lot of trouble all the time. It doesn't always reflect godliness. And so that's something I can practically practice and ask the Lord to do in me. Keep your lips from telling lies. So if any of us have trouble exaggerating or maybe omitting the truth or saying something that we want to make our husband think when it's really not completely all the way true, the Lord would tell us, don't do that. That's not godliness. Turn away from evil and do good. Again, the world is full of evil. There's all kinds of things screaming out to us. Turn away from those things and choose to do good instead. Search for peace and work to maintain it. I, I like that one. That's a great word for our marriages. Search for peace. Don't always be the one to point out a fault, to pick a fight, to 
want to complain about something, search for a way to bring peace in the home and work to maintain it. It's work to keep peace in the home sometimes. We're sinners, we don't always get along. We sometimes hurt one another's feelings and wound one another and insult one another. But yet, uh, godliness looks like somebody choosing to look for a way, a peaceful solution and working really hard to maintain that in our relationship. And listen to the rewards of this. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. Again, I like that, ladies, because maybe as you're working hard to not say evil things and to do good and turn away from evil and to make peace in your relationship, maybe the other party isn't working as hard as you. You know what? The Lord sees, he hears, and he's going to bless you. And just allow him to do things in his timing and in his way. Uh, Pastor John Corson said this, be a partaker of the divine nature by following Jesus, imitating him, and studying his word. And I like that because we also read that verse earlier, 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Remember, it tells us, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Again, ladies, the better we know Jesus through his word, the easier it becomes for us to act like him, to imitate his godly character, to avoid the sin and the traps of this world, because it says, through these, you will be partakers of the divine nature. If I want to be more like Jesus, if I want to see godliness growing and added to my life, I need to obey the word. I need to be in the word, and I need to obey it so that through that I can be changed. Okay, so I wrote down, there's a verse for the godliness dressing code, Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. You have stripped off your old sinful nature, so take off the old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Again, the same thing, you probably think I'm sounding like a broken record here, but it's, it's simple, it's just not easy because we don't always figure it out. The more we know him, the easier it will be for us to imitate him. Godliness behavior code, 1 Peter 1.5. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Wow, that's a tall order. Everything, that's what it says, be holy in everything. Okay, Philippians 4.13 gives us a clue. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, ladies, it's not easy to walk holy each and every day. Things push our buttons. We have bad days. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and who changes us and makes us more like him. And when I choose to live holy before the Lord, I will be the best wife for my spouse. Godliness Attitude Code, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. That's one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses, because with godliness, with contentment is great gain. When I have a thankful heart toward the Lord for all that he has done for me, how much he has blessed me, when I have a grateful heart towards my spouse for the things that he does right, for the things that he does to bless me and to love me, you know what? Then I can have that attitude of godliness. And it's great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The opposite is true as well. If I want godliness and I'm busy being discontent and complaining and that wasn't right and how come this is happening, 
I'm not going to have that godliness operating in my life because I'm going to be consumed with my discontent and my discouragement and the things that I don't think are right. A grateful heart goes a long way with the Lord and with your spouse. I also wrote down a psalm that I wrote. This is Godliness 101 for me, and it has eternal rewards. And this is from Psalm 1. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or do not stand around with sinners, or do not join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Doesn't that sound like a good thing right there? If we delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it in day and light, we are going to be like those trees, bearing fruit, not growing brown and dead and ugly, and we're going to prosper in what we do in the Lord. It goes on to say in verse 4 of Psalm 1, But not the wicked, they are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Again, ladies, for us, if we want to walk in godliness, we need to choose to not walk in the ways of the world. We need to choose to follow Jesus, to abide in him, to allow him to work the things that he needs to work in us and through us. One last quote I wanted to share that I really like. This is from George MacDonald, and he said this, Our lives should be godlike. Godliness is basically practical holiness. It's practical holiness. There should be such a supernatural quality in our conduct that others will know we are children of the Heavenly Father. The family likeness should be unmistakable. And I, I just really like that part. As we choose to walk in Jesus, hopefully the family likeness should be unmistakable that you guys are daughters of the King. You wives are walking in Jesus. When we walk in godliness, uh, we are going to be a blessing. The Lord is going to change us and mold us and shape us, and prayerfully will be a blessing to our spouse as well. Amen. Amen. And for us guys, again, just as I was reading this, add to perseverance, godliness, godlikeness. And I was thinking about that um, word Christian, where it tells us in Acts 11 that the disciples were first called Christian at Antioch. And then I read this, and it was talking about the ending on Christian, the I-A-N, means belonging to the party of. Thus, Christians were those of Jesus's party. I like that. Again, men, we're supposed to be those of the party of Jesus or belonging to the party of Jesus. Listen, today in our radically divided country, we have a lot of different party lines we have lines between government that have divided us. We have lines between what COVID looks like that have divided us. We have lines between whether we are supposed to wear a mask or not that divide us. We have lines between vaccination or non-vaccination that divide us. So many lines that are dividing us. And it's one thing, listen, when the, when the division is what the world thinks and what godlikeness is supposed to be. But listen, when, when the division is just within the church and it's just all this division and divisiveness, I have to stop and remember what the tactics of the enemy are. Uh, he came to, to seek and to destroy, to divide 
and conquer. That's the enemy's whole plan. I teach that a lot when, when I go through kind of like um, the six keys to do a marriage God's way. I kind of start there. The enemy is out there to divide and to conquer, divide and to conquer. He's the one who's behind that division. But let, listen, we are supposed to be those of Jesus's party. Listen, Jesus says, you will know those who are of my party lines by their love for one another. What party line do you belong to? I know for me, I want to be known by being one of those of the Jesus party. And yet there in Antioch, a lot of people believe that that word Christian was almost like this negative thing because those People in Antioch looked at Christians and saw them as strange or that they were weird because of their actions. In fact, they would call them little Christ because of the way in which they were acting. Uh, you know, hey, you're, you're acting like Jesus Christ. They had a Christ-likeness. And their Christ-likeness, is there that Christ-likeness within my own life? Remember what Peter said in, in his first book, we studied this the last time, in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we've, I've said this before, but it, where, where Peter said, we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, listen, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Man, does the world look at our lives and, do, and, and, and think, why aren't you doing what we're doing? And, and why, why, why are you thinking differently? Because oftentimes that's what's going on. But that's exactly what we're kind of looking at tonight uh, and thinking and acting like Jesus. Are we being controlled by the spirit or are we being controlled by the flesh? Add to perseverance godliness, or for us to have right worship or to worship well. Those are some of the words about that. And again, that's a dependence on God that reveals itself in a devoted life. Guys, do you understand that the word or no, that the word worship means to kiss or to kiss towards? And it's that that's really what the, the word literally means. And yet I was thinking within our couple setting, within the marriage ministry here, we should be able to grasp this concept of worship or desire to be close or to have an intimate relationship with. Now within the marriage, if we are doing it God's way, it should be intimacy, that kissing, it should be with one and only one person that we are intimate with, one and only one person that we desire to kiss in the intimate way. All other intimate desires other than the one and only one person you are married to is wrong worship, is not worshiping well. Again, the Lord uses the marriage relationship to remind us that the Father desires that same intimate relationship 
as within marriage. He desires that thing, same thing. Paul tells us, and again, I, I say this all the time, but there in Ephesians 5, Paul says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And again, this is oneness is what God designed the marriage relationship to be. But in the midst of Paul talking about the intimacy between a man and a woman, he makes the very next statement. He says, this is a great mystery, but I'm really speaking of Christ and the church. Paul, speaking of that intimate relationship between a man and a woman, it, it's that same picture should look like our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, men, do we have right worship with our wives? Is there the one and only, is she the only woman that we want to kiss, that we desire intimate relationship with? Because that is what the Lord desires that we would have with our wives. And again, listen, men, <laughs> there is physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. And can I tell you that most men spell intimacy S-E-X. I had a couple in my office last week, and as I was talking about intimacy, the guy's like getting all excited. I'm going, whoa, whoa, time out, dude. <laughs> it's not spelled S-E-X. And can I tell you that most wives do not spell it S-E-X. Most women do not spell it that way. And yet there is still that need of the connection in the emotional aspects of her life. Just like there is a need that we have within our lives to connect with the Lord in the spiritual realm of intimacy. And listen, guys, can I tell you that God is always in the mood for intimacy with us. Always. He is always in the mood. It's us that usually has an issue. We're the ones with a headache or we're too tired or whatever to have that intimate relationship with God. But God is always desiring that with us. And are we wanting to respond to him in that same way with intimacy? Are we connecting with the Lord, desiring to have that intimate relationship with him, to spend time in a sense of kissing, I had a pastor friend, he'd always just say, yes, Pat, we need to worship. And he would do that, you know, in a sense of, of that time with Jesus, mm -hmm. of, of that we would really understand that it, he desires that intimacy. And, and it has nothing to do with perversion or sexual things. It, it's that intimate bonding in the spiritual, the realm and stuff. But that's, the Lord, that's what the Lord wants. And yet, do we have right worship going on with the Lord? In the same way, are we wanting to connect with our wives, wanting the intimate relationship with her, spending time with her, wanting the kissing aspect of, of that life, that we're, we're, we're wanting to, to connect. And yet again, not in the sexual way, but just that connection. Because I know that's what our wives want. They want that. And, and do we treat her? in that way with our attitude and our actions that we want to have that done right. We want to have that done well. Bob Dylan years ago, he sang that song, you have to serve somebody, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. In a sense, Jesus is kind of like saying Jesus' words of, hey, hey we, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and other things. And yet there is all these other things that are vying for our attention and time uh, uh, to worship them. 
whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's, you know, the, the career, what, whatever those things, the toys, whatever those things are, they're, they're vying for that. And yet God says, hey, we, we can't have that divided heart there, just like with our wives. You can't be, you saying, oh, yes, I love you. And yet looking around at every other woman to want to be, have, be kissing with or whatever the case may be. It can't be that way. Our attitude, our actions need to be honoring the Lord. And if we're honoring the Lord, they're going to be honoring to our wives. Listen, I don't know if any of you read through the Bible each year, but we do that. I, I have my own, you know, my reading that I do the through the Bible in a year. You guys maybe have that book as well. Uh, this morning, we were actually in Titus chapter one. And as I was sitting there reading that, God was speaking to my heart, kind of convicting me as I'm also processing the study uh, for tonight. But this is what it says in Titus chapter one. Uh, and and there, the Paul, there the apostle Paul is reminding his young uh, pastor uh, friend named Titus uh, what, um, how he should be conducting himself as well as what he should be looking for. Um, as well as in leaders within the church. And he says this, Titus chapter one, beginning verse five. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. He should not be not self-willed, just thinking about himself, not quick temper, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. So, so he gives a list of what it shouldn't look like. And then he's going to give us a list of what it should look like, but should be hospitable, a lover of what is good. And I like when he says it that way. And that really spoke a lot to my heart. A lover of what is good. He should be sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught. That you may be able by sound doctrine to both exhort, convict uh, those who contradict. And you know, this morning as I was reading uh, this, it, it really does tie in with what Peter is saying to us, to us men uh, tonight, that we would demonstrate within our lives God-likeness, godliness. And this is really, as Mary shared uh, those scriptures there, this is also what it looks like in a very practical way. And as I was reading through this list, again, uh, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy uh, for money, but hospitable, a lover of what's good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast, the faithful word. As I was reading this, I had to ask myself the question uh, that, um, is that me? Am I these things? And as I asked myself to be really honest, Pat, go through these. And I start going through these one by one. In fact, I told myself, man, when I'm going to get to church, I'm going to, I'm going to print this out. I'm going to put it on a wall because listen to me, that that's the bar. That's where the standard should be. We oftentimes, again, I say this oftentimes, we often put our standard, our bar so low, but this is, this is God's standard. He wants us. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to have a God likeness within our lives. And this is what Paul says it should look like. But yet I know for me, as I was reading it, I realized, man, I fall so short so often, God, I wish this is how I was every single day, but, but I don't, I fall short. But then as God in his Kindness and mercy begins ministering to my heart, reminding me, hey, Pat, remember, 
I began a good work in you. And I am the one who's going to complete it. I'm the one who's going to perfect it. You need to allow me to do that work. As Mary shared that, uh, that really, you need to allow me to do that work in you. And I will be the one to do that. But Pat, again, don't, don't settle for this down here. Go up. Peter reminds us, again, guys, to add to perseverance, godliness, godlikeness, right worship, worshiping well. And again, I like that because that kissing towards and that intimacy, God wants that with him. He desires that with our wives. But to be hospitable, to be a lover of what is good, to be sober-minded, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. And when we are doing this, again, we are going to be Christ-like. We are going to be demonstrating someone who's in love with Jesus and is more concerned with that than they are with the things of this world that, you know, will be fading away. Because what we have there in heaven, he tells us, will never, ever fade away. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you again for your word. And I pray and ask as we've been looking at this godliness tonight. Um, I know I even this morning as I look at myself, I, I don't see that, Lord. I, I see a sinner in need of a savior. And I am so thankful that you sent your son to die on that cross. But Lord, as you have come into my life and you tell me that you are pouring your love and your goodness and your grace within me and that you have given me the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one who can add these things to my life, Lord, that I would not be, you know, carrying around these besetting sins, but I could lay them aside and lay them at the foot of the cross and allow you to do that work in my heart. God, I know first and foremost, you want the intimacy to be with you. And Lord, I pray and ask that each one of us sitting here tonight would have that desire to kiss you, to kiss towards you, to have that desire of worship with you and in your presence, God, that you would move and work in our heart as we're drawing near. Listen, every single one of us, has a, a God-shaped vacuum within us. And you are the only one who can satisfy. You are the only one who can fulfill. So help us to turn to you and allow you to fulfill it and not be looking out there to the world or things out here to have that satisfied, but that we would look to you. And then, Lord, as it relates to us as couples, I do pray and ask that we would have that intimacy one to another, that there would be that desire for closeness, oneness, that our spouse would be the one and only one person that we would desire to have that intimacy with, no other one. And Lord, you would do that work and allow us to be connected in all aspects of our being, Lord, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all aspects, God, you would help us to connect there. And Lord, we would see you do that incredible work in our hearts and lives. So please, God, would you do that with us? And we do thank you. Thank you for this night. Thank you for those come out. Lord, I pray and ask you would be with each and every one of us, Lord. 
We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying amen, amen and amen.